and we are live from America, just outside the Matrix. It's time for the show that's going to bring you the truth, all behind the headlines. I'm Sky Nell Hughes, filling in for my friend Lee Stranahan. This is Wednesday of this journey. We're giving him a couple of days of extra rest so he can get nice and strong to be back with you on the airwave soon, because this is the backstory. Okay, we got a big show for you today. It is midweek. It is hump week. I've never, hump day, I've never understood why they called Wednesday hump day. Has something to do with the camel. I think there's other things that you could call it. Rod, I'm going to bring you in on this. Rod's our producer. He's going to get our callers in line. 202-521-1320 on this Wednesday. Why do people call Wednesday hump day? Isn't there a better name they could have come up with for this day? There a better day, a uh, better phrase, uh, probably. But since, you know, the work week is considered Monday through Friday, and if you're in the middle of Wednesday, you're halfway Friday, I guess. You know, so I guess that's how that came about. Well, I almost feel like it should be called, like, pothole day, because that's kind of how you feel when you hit, get to Wednesday. You feel like that you just want to go in the ground, or that you've been, if you're cruising along, you hit Wednesday, and you just all of a sudden feel like you're going to bust a tire out. That's kind of how my Wednesdays usually go. This day's not any different, as I've been running. But, Rod, I mean, I, I know it's an age-old tradition to have these, but there's names that we could kind of give, you know, with the work week changing, it's no longer, you know, Monday through Friday. Most people now uh, almost work every day, or they only work every other day like is it time to get rid of this phrase hump day and is it really a politically correct word to say anymore <laughs> i think it's uh, supposed to uh summarize with a uh, camel you're supposed to go with the camel and getting over that hump so uh maybe it's more of the camel <laughs> than another image people might think of and uh, i think you're right i think the work week has been changing for a lot of people like you said a lot of people are working multiple jobs or they're working six six days or seven days so uh, I believe they should change I don't know to what but you know well I look at Wednesday and I go you know especially if you're working several jobs or you have a home or you have a professional life and a personal life and that personal life is a job itself uh, you look at you know Wednesday to me this is it's kind of almost like my Monday because I'm gearing up to get ready for a weekend and weekends with kids is no longer anything that you can just sit back you it's no no longer relaxing it's it's there's always some activity every day all day long that sometimes my weekends I go to work sometimes just to get a break from my first job of taking care of teenagers. But I don't know. It's, it's also interesting to see since the coronavirus, I feel like we're, we're too busy now, uh, even more busy. It's like they've taken the last two years and jam-packed it in. Have you seen that, Rod, in what you're dealing with, that you see that people kind of like now, everything that you did not do the last two years, you feel like you now have to get to, get to before they lock us down again? Uh, it, it's funny you say that. I've actually uh, I've had a lot of friends who, you know, when, when lockdown was going on, they had all the time in the world. But now that, you know, it's kind of a thing of the past, they're, they're too busy, haven't spoken to them in weeks or months. So, uh, yeah, I think you're very right on with that. Well, and I have friends that are, you know, they're scheduling vacations that, you know, well, in case they lock us down again, I need to go now. Like, I like that justification. Why don't you say I just need a vacation? Why are you just saying, you know, if I don't take it now, they could lock us down again. And I haven't had to have one. I didn't get to have one for the last two years. So I'm going to do it now. I think that's kind of an excuse. Speaking of excuses, we're going to talk about a lot of excuses coming out of D.C. today and obviously the establishment media as they're trying to justify what is going on between Ukraine and Russia. And the good news is 
that the more that I think the Washington, D.C. and their press that covers for them, I feel like that that means that we're getting closer to actual peace. Because all of a sudden you're hearing this idea, this spin that, oh, you know, Russia missed. Well, like I said, we're going to go over those headlines. You're not going to want to miss probably the most outstanding propaganda spinning headline from the West. It wasn't even just a headline. It was actually a, an alert came out. And we're going to go over that today um, with our Russia. We're actually going to bring in a journalist himself, Nabozha Malik. Neb, a.k.a. Neb, is going to tell us the latest on Russia-Ukraine. And if you should believe the Western media that's telling you that Russia is in retreat. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that and how they're actually phrasing it. Um, then we're going to bring in, obviously, another big news came out. The financial sector today, Donald Horowitz, is going to join us at this. We're going to discuss about how the mighty ruble is better than the fallen dollar. You know, they used to joke with us if we worked for the Russians was going, why in the world do you get paid in rubles? Or don't you get paid in rubles? And I kind of laughed, I was going, ha ha, very funny. I'm looking at the market today and I kind of wish that I would have been paid by rubles. Definitely would have made some more money today as it looks like the ruble is the number one, uh, number one type of currency in the world that has had the best best month ever. So it'll be really interesting to see. We're going to talk about with Bubba Horowitz about that. Plus, story that you're going to see nowhere else here at home domestic. I have to tell you, and it's thanks to this thing called TikTok that I was even put onto this story. Local media there along the Gulf Coast, Panama City Beach, did a couple stories on it, but for some reason, this story is not getting out. And I will tell you, it is as shocking, and the footage from it is as shocking as we had with the L.A. riots and what we saw following George Floyd, and nobody's talking about it. They're not even talking about who the, who was involved and how the police handled because there's a lot of video, and the only place you're going to see the video is on TikTok, and the only place you're going to hear the story discussed, well, as we've seen, we've set the trend this week with other stories. The only place you're going to see this story discussed is right here, on the backstory, so I want to make sure that you get that call number 202-521-1320. We're going to do we're going to do the rest of this half hour with callers, so get your callers in calls in right now. Wide variety of issues. I want to talk to you because you are listening to the backstory. Okay, right off the top, I always say, if you're listening to the show, your number one reason why you choose to listen to this show over others, besides just the witty commentary and the no spin of what is said is right now in this current stage, you want to know what is going on in Russia. You want to know what's going on in the Russian-Ukraine conflict. You want to see the other side because you can be guaranteed you are not getting it on most of the other channels right now. In fact, there's a certain host who's also a radio host that has a news show that I keep looking at him as what he's saying and asking if he wants to blink twice because he needs help. Because this is so out of character for what this radio host, uh, this colleague of mine, is, is doing. He's literally regurgitating the talking points from George Soros, Nancy Pelosi, the people that he runs. He's run the last 20 years of his career, never agreeing with them, trying to derail any sort of agenda they had. And here they can sit silent because he's doing a real good job pushing their points and I have still not found out the reason why but maybe by the end of this week I will be able to get it our call in number 202-521-1320 the headline that I'm seeing coming out to I got an alert and I it, it was crazy for me 
it, it was an alert. I was sitting in a meeting this morning and across Washington Post, Russia, Vladimir Putin getting false information from top Russian intelligence because they do not want to tell him how bad it is on the ground in Ukraine for Russian soldiers. I I kind of paraphrase that a little bit because I could not find the alert. Then I go onto social media and it's like someone got a hold of whoever sent that alert out and said, get that article down. And the fact that they think that what they did, and this just shows what the U.S. media, what the U.S. media does to not only the president, but other elected officials and the think that and, and they think they can get away with it. That's what gets me. The fact that they want to tell the American people, the West, they think other people will regurgitate this, that Russian intelligence, the reason why there is this ceasefire, the reason why the focus is is, is in the east of Ukraine is because Vladimir Putin has been told wrong information all along about how the Russian army is being defeated is not only laughable, it is dangerous. It is absolutely dangerous. If you think that that could be the truth, then you don't need to be listening to this show because you're about to have a wide eye awakening. You obviously don't know enough to recognize that that is not as what is going on here. And the spin that these outlets that the Washington Post is trying to put on this as they try to find some way to save face to show that, hey, maybe they were right, which from the very beginning, most people who know the history of the region knew that they were going to be wrong. The spin that they are putting on this, that now the reason why we're seeing the strategy, I don't even say change, you're seeing the focus go on other areas is because the West wants to say it's because Ukraine is winning, that the soldiers on the ground of this country are actually beating back the intelligence and and the mass uh, military of Russia in this. I just can't believe they have enough gumption. Actually, I can believe. After all of the lies that they have passed along, I can absolutely believe it. But I absolutely cannot believe it. You know someone else I want to find out? I want to bring in Tarif, our first caller today from New Orleans. Tarif, you tell me, do you think the Washington Post thinks that people are actually going to believe that the Russians are withdrawing and changing their strategy, and Vladimir Putin has been getting bad intel from his own officials all along? Um, I have really, I don't know about that. Um, I haven't looked upon that, but um, I have two other, three other uh, comments I want to talk about dealing with the Ukraine, what's going on with Ukraine. They have um, well, uh, troop build up. Let's see if we can get, well, let's do, your, do your most important one first. Let's get the first one in. They um they have troop build up inside um Poland and with American troops and the Polish troops and the thing is this is like the neocons is freaking out if they're like if they is rumored if they go into like Ukraine put troops on the ground then that can cause a much wider conflict or if they go into Belarus that can make things even worse you know where you can have um a low scale wall that might end up being a um. Um, all out World War Three. Um, my second comment is dealing with um the. It seems like that peace that Yemen and Saudi Arabia have, it probably Iran had negotiated some some a deal between those two, and it looked like if it if it lasts between uh, beyond Ramadan, then 
that means that um, Saudi Arabia is going more and more to the east. We already know they got the UN, the, um, that they're going with the RMB already. So that's good that you might have peace in the Middle East um, all together, you know. Which that would be absolutely positive if we could, if we could actually get that. And I agree. You know, that is one thing that we have to recognize. Everything going on here, it is a small world. We have made the world become very close to each other. So the conflict that's going on in Russia and Ukraine does not in any way negate the conflicts are going in other places, which have probably been going on longer. But that doesn't mean that it's also not the actions of one are not causing the actions of the other and vice versa. Nobody can look at this conflict over the last few weeks and think that it has not pushed Russia closer to China, or at least in working with it, it hasn't united a whole uh, group that before might have been loosely. But at this stage, uh, there is definitely a new out, a new alliance that has formed. And I don't know if it's necessarily a good alliance. Um, I don't know if I endorse the alliance, but it's one that the U.S. has forced and the West has forced to happen. So it will be very, very interesting to see uh, how this progresses once this Ukrainian-Russian conflict, how that is going to do with other conflicts going on around the world. And your third point, Tarif. The third point is this. Um, the, um, the troop, those, those Ukrainian neo-Nazis that was kneecapping those Russian soldiers, well, two of them got caught. Russian commandos went, went into the site where it took place because the geo uh, located where it happened, and he captured two of them. And right now, it's like, it's not good for them. There's rumors saying that they're begging for mercy. So look like the Russian soldiers basically got those that was doing inhumane acts against Russian soldiers, and they got them now in prison now. So that's good. Well, and it's, it's, it's the, the key to all of this, and this is where I have to be careful in picking out what we talk about from what we see on social media, uh, because it is coming from both sides. And yes, that if there is any sort of war crime on either side being done, you would hope that the proper proper attention would be given and that would be stopped. And just because if this if what you said is legitimate and everything that is coming from that side turns out to be legitimately true so far, uh, more more than the other side, uh, they're not the only ones doing it. You know it's true when you had one of the the head of leadership within the Ukrainian government actually put out the decree yesterday to stop, to stop doing these types of war crimes, that it was a war crime, and they knew that those sorts of stories turn out to only hurt any sort of PR battle that is going on right now. It, it actually does not help in the sympathy that Ukraine, that's the one thing they've been able to garner, at least from the West, has been the sympathy bullet and they've been able to get it. Tarif, thank you for bringing those points up. I really appreciate your call and I appreciate your calls all this week. But you do talk about right now, you know, what you bring up is what we've seen. And this is what has been very hard. I think anybody that is watching this situation to recognize is we know the truth. Those who have looked at the area for so many years actually know the truth, whether you're talking about the Nazis and the Azov Battalion, whether you talk about the, the over 10,000 uh, civilians and military that have been killed in the Donbass region since 2014, the U.S. involvement in the coup in, th in 2014, continuing. Then you go to all of the propaganda and the lies that have been spread, even by U.S. congressmen concerning that are trying to get the emotional plea for Ukraine. I do not understand why anybody 
right now. There's no accountability to what is going on in Ukraine. I don't understand why the, why the only thing that it's doing is you're going to see is the media is going to cover less and less and less because they don't want to look like that they have the mud on the face that they do. Okay, lots of other issues to cover besides just Russia and Ukraine. There's lots of things going on here at home, including a budget that Biden's starting to pass. But is he going to need more because his dollar has absolutely almost collapsed? You are listening to The Backstory, and we'll be right back after this break. I'm just kind of now he's filling in for my friend, Lee Stranahan, who is still very active on Twitter. He's supposed to be resting, but you can't keep can't keep a good journalist away from stories that are going on like this. So definitely make sure that you follow Lee Stranahan on Twitter. You can easily search him. I guarantee there's only one Lee Stranahan in the world and luckily only one on Twitter. So it's easy to get it. Let me give you our call in number one more time. 202-521-1320. Fun little fact, I just want to go down memory lane and remind people that the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. Oh, that great Amazon man. He bought it for $250 million almost a decade ago. ago. So 10 years of Jeff Bezos, Amazon, owning Washington Post. Now, what's interesting about that? In that same year, a $600 million deal was done with the CIA and Amazon. So don't tell me. We talk about the swamp being all politics. Well, we're seeing, and we always talk, we knew Wall Street was involved, but Wall Street used, we knew that they were the overlords. We knew that they actually were able to, to guide policy and agendas. But now it is so blatant in your face, they are actually partners and public partners. They don't mind telling you. So when you see an opinion come out that's from one of their, their largest, Henry Olson, one of the largest columnists that says Biden has requested an increase in defense spending, it's not nearly enough. And let me just remind you that this is the largest spending, defense spending. It was already through the roof. It's the largest defense spending part of the budget that has ever happened. It's historical. Way to go. We wanted history. There you go. You can always count on the Washington Post to look out for its buddies, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, which are also tied to Amazon. I mean, it's just one big happy family. It's a family reunion. It's a family reunion of billionaires, or is the world, as in Russia, they're called oligarchs. Here we just call them billionaires. But that's just kind of what, if you don't understand the background, if you don't understand how deep this web goes, then you're not, then you don't real, then you start to think that maybe you can get out of it. Maybe America will be able to actually break free and go back to how it should be, as how it should have been established. But it's so intricate that you needed something to go in and completely destroy all of it and rebuild back from the bottom to the top, because all the way down, there's very little good that exists in the bureaucracy in America today, and that includes the partnership with private businesses. 
I, I don't know, folks. What is the magic answer? How do we get America back to what the people want? Not what the not what the politicians want to get away from the politicians' agenda, but more exactly what the American people need, deserve, what we pay for, and where we're going. I bet Brave has an answer for me. Next caller, join me, Brave. What do you think? How do how do we get our country back, or is it too late? Hey, Scotty, um, that's the uh, million dollar question, right? I, unfortunately, not, I don't have a quick an answer, or at least. The answer that I have is uh, probably viewed as cynical because I don't believe that we can because I believe that um, I, I know we want to believe that, you know, we have democracy and freedom of choice and all of those things. But I, I, um, they show us time and time again, um, just based on just look at the structure of how our society is set up here in the U.S., that this is actually a... Um, a, uh, a, a, feeding frenzy, a, I'm sorry, a feeding frenzy for them. So I, I don't think that we can get it back. So I don't think that we ever had it, actually. Um, and I think we just kind of uh, convince ourselves um, that we do have some sense of freedom um, because I, I think facing the reality of it would be too much for most people. Um, but I, I was actually calling it. I don't know. I, I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that, but I, I hate to be the, the spoiled sport, but <laughs> that's how I look at it. Um, I, I don't know. Having, having been in war zones and, and seeing some of my friends killed and and families destroyed from the um, continuous deployments for no reason other than bankers' dollars. I, I just I don't know. I, and when you see them passing money to Ukraine with with not not even caring to hide it or pretend, just coming up with money out of nowhere when when they say in the beginning they can't do anything for to help people. I, I just I can't see any, any other way. I, I can't see that it was ever really ours in the, to begin with. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about that. Uh, if I, if I... Well, and real quick, before you move on for that, I want to make this point on it, Brave, and the fact that it's not only about, you know, can we not do anything? The, the problem is, it's that the people who are telling the truth are being demonized by those who are not. And that demonization is working. And they're because they're being demonized by all levels. It's not just, you know, the people that were telling lies were always at the bottom. Nope. It's from the top on down. You know, we saw one of the, the biggest stories that have come out of this conflict has been this uh, sort of the spotlight that has been put on this Azov battalion. That those who know the region know that there are Nazis in Ukraine. They've had a long history of Nazis in Ukraine. And in the very beginning, especially People were demonized that they even brought up. They were said they were being false, that they were Putin's puppets. They were spending false propaganda, that they were a part of the problem. In fact, that's one of the reasons why a lot of these networks have been shut down. These media outlets, these social media have been shut down, mainly because they were talking about the Azov Battalion. Fox News, that same host I was talking about, was praising, had one of the leaders of the Azov Battalion on. CNN, every major network was talking about how this was this great, wonderful fighting group. Meanwhile, people like myself, people who were informed, knew that these were really a group of Nazis that had a large control in Ukraine, and it had been very public, weren't ashamed of it. So now, recently, and we're going to get to your point real quick, uh, Brave, in a second, but I just want to point out, CNN has put out, they had to put out, because they knew the truth was going to get out there. More people, it's damage control. Like I said, they'll put out, out whatever lie is convenient at the time, throw that mud against the wall. But then once it's exposed as being a lie, they try to cover it up, but nobody's paying attention. That's what they want. They had to put out, and this was on the 29th, this was yesterday, a far-right battalion has a key role in Ukraine's resistance. Its neo-Nazi history has been exploited 
by Putin. I mean, that's as close to the truth we're going to get from CNN regarding the Azov Battalion. There is no doubt about that. I'll take that one. But I'm sorry. Uh, It doesn't matter what your Nazi history is. It doesn't need to be exploited. It needs to be exposed. If Putin has exposed that in this country, considering in Ukraine, considering what we did here with the view that uh, the, the bad in Charlottesville and we demonized a whole entire group of supporters of a president off of a Charlottesville situation, then these need to be exposed. And I think that's the problem we're seeing this day is because the people telling the truth are the ones that are being demonized. But that's not what I do on the show. That's why I'm going to give Brave. What is what is your, your point? Actually, I will stick with what you're talking about because it's, it's very interesting. Um, I, I totally agree with you. And they're, they're, they're going to find them. They're, I think they're finding themselves now kind of crashing up against that brick wall because, one, they, they had already, a lot of these media outlets, these major uh, mainstream outlets, uh, whether print or, uh, or digital media, had already co- had covered the, um, the Nazis and all that. And, and we, I'm sure you've obviously seen it, um, proof of that and seen uh, see these stories uh, long before we got into this whole thing with Ukraine right now, right? So, so, that, so that contradiction is now in their, is, is rolling around, is back in their faces. And then because, um, because the, the mainstream media typically, uh, I, guess they, I guess the idea is they lean left, but to me they just lean corporate, right? And so that, that, al- that, that allows them to, to try and profit off of the whole stakeholder capitalism thing where they're pushing all the woke stuff, right? Um, well, well, if you spend your entire time revving everybody up over race and everything like that, and, and you're telling every, and, you're, and you spend your entire time reporting on all these matters of race and all these matters of racism, Right, and and as a black man, I I, I, um, I I firmly believe in racism. I've experienced it, so I know it well. So I'm not a denier of it. Right, I'm not a denier of white supremacy. I'm not a denier of systematic racism. Right, and and whether you are a conservative black man or a black person, period, or minority in general, or a uh, a liberal, or whatever the case is, you've had you've had contact with these things in most cases. Right, so you know what it tastes like. Whether you want to um, admit its existence now at, at all, that's a whole other thing. But the point remains that that. When they're trying, they're trying to carry water for Ukraine. They're trying to cover up these things with the Nazis and the Azov Battalion and all of that stuff. And, and now these, now these, these, these stories they're trying to bury, and even stories that they had reported on before, and they tried to like push to the wayside. These things are coming back around, and so they, they're coming face to face with their own contradictions. And, and again, my original point was that when you build your audience base. Um, and your and your and your dollar off of pushing race, right, and pushing racism and, and things of that nature. Um, what kind of conundrum do you find yourself in now, where you're also trying to push the American public to support a country that has a not a strong Nazi hold on their politics and their military? So I, I don't think we have much longer for um, for the uh, for the, the dirt to be kept under the rug. I think it's going to all come out soon. And I, I think I'll leave it at that because my original point was far less as. Uh, uh, um, important as this. I think what you were talking about is far more important, so I, w- I would rather comment on that. No, I think you're correct, and here's the problem, and, and I have this problem with any of these times that, unfortunately, we have to have a racial discussion because something happened. We're always in offensive mode, and, and we don't take, or, or defensive mode. We're never in offense. We never take care of the problem until after it happens, which it's not like it's the first time. Every time we have a racial situation in this country, uh, it's like a broken record because it keeps happening. We don't do anything about it when we have that great opportunity to have that conversation to do what is needed. Um, and I have to wonder sometimes if that's on purpose because you cannot you cannot argue the fact that sometimes all of these fighting the fighting between people in the American public that that benefits 
politicians that benefits a lot of people in power because it keeps them in power and gives them something that they can campaign on that they're going to stop, even though that they don't. Uh, but you're you're right, and that's the same thing. Is that eventually you get you realize that you're being just basically tools. You're being uh, tools in a war that you don't even want to be a part of. Your pawns in a chess game that you didn't even sign up for because basically you don't even play chess and you're not even on the same board. That's been the the continuous, and I think eventually people just they start to to really hopefully start to question what is going on and why do they continue? Then again, sometimes they let the same thing happen over and over again, like the broken record. Real quick, before we go to a quick break, actually, let's hold Keith over for a couple minutes. Um, We have Keith, you're online. Stay with me through the break. We're going to take a quick break here. You are listening to The Backstory. And we are back. I'm Scotty Nell Hughes filling in for my friend Lee Stranahan this week on Hump Day. Okay, I'm just going to give in. I'm giving in at this point. You win, world. You win, society. Until we come up with a better animal to phrase Wednesday, I'll just go with what the tradition is. Happy Hump Day. This is the backstory. And I asked my, I asked our caller, Keith, to hold on through the break. I appreciate you holding on. Keith? What, what point would you like to make to the world today? The show today, so many uh, intelligent, well-informed guests, along with yourself being the host. I just wanted to say <clears throat> there's a term, I can't remember whether it was Shakespeare or some other famous person. It was hoist on one's own petard. And that petard, insofar as the U.S., is the world dollar reserve currency. It was the British until they lost it after the Suez Canal. And so <clears throat> we are uh, pushing... Uh, American allies in NATO to resent having to cut off the Nord Stream pipeline and make their constituents' price of oil go up through the ceiling. And so you've got Venezuela trading with Russia in rubles. You've got the Chinese using Bitcoin any way to get around dollar domination. How far will this have to go before we wake up one day and we lose that reserve currency? Now you can't print money to spend on all the uh, armaments because you don't have it like that because you can't seize people's treasuries. They're going to take them out of that. And I don't see this ending up in a good story. Just wanted to leave it at that. Thank you. Keith, I agree with you on that. You know, the petrodollar, the day that the world gives up the petrodollar, and sadly, I think that we are headed down that path currently. And unfortunately, it seems like we've put it on fast forward until we reach that destination. Uh, I don't think we know what America looks like when she is truly broke. I mean, we can talk about all the debt that we're in, the trillions of dollars that we're in, that somehow we find money to spend when we're this much in debt. But I don't think we really know what happens when the world doesn't even use our currency anymore. Well, some I've got to ask a good friend of mine, Naboshka Balik, uh, investigative journalist, writer for RT.com, former colleague of mine, someone who has watched this region. And Nev and I were both together on this. We both felt like possibly uh, leading up to this that we weren't actually going to have 
a full-out military campaign between Russia and Ukraine. But things change as they do so, of course, this. Neb, thanks for joining me here on The Backstory. Sure thing, Scotty. Happy to be here. Okay, I want you to respond to this headline. And it's the New York Times. This one's from the New York Times. U.S. intelligence suggests that Putin's advisors misinformed him on Ukraine. Your thoughts? Have the people from the New York Times looked at the mirror lately um, or, or are just the art of projection is off the charts again? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but what was that saying about people living in glass houses and throwing rocks? Um, when we have uh, walk back Joe as the trending hashtag and, you know, Biden's relationship with his advisors, uh, pretty much along the same lines where they have to clean up after every one of his public appearances. I don't know where the U.S. spies got this idea. Um, I honestly don't don't believe them as far as I can throw them, because there's absolutely no indication that this actually might be even remotely true. Well, once again, I think if U.S. intelligence suggests that that the advisors misinformed him, uh, if this would have been reversed, you know, under the course of Trump, we would have just seen that Trump is misinformed or that he did not listen to his advisors. Uh, but if the advisors, you know, the, the end of the, the course was the same. This, I think, though, is a bigger part of campaign right now of trying to make it look like Russia is losing in Ukraine. And why the West is trying to do this with you, anybody who looks at the region, you probably have better eyes on it than I do um, today. What is actually happening on the ground? What are we seeing the strategy? And is, are we really seeing a change? And what, why is that change happening? All right. So the key concept to understand here is FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt. That is the bread and butter of all propaganda. And that's what has been manufactured by the tons since the start of this military operation, police action war, however you want to call it. Um, I've actually been tracking um, the conflict from the, the first day that the troops went in and this thing went kinetic and um, been following a variety of sources. Um, and very quickly within you know, the first two weeks, it became clear which ones are reliable and which ones are not. And the sources that I consider reliable are giving me a picture of uh, that's more or less accurate of what's happening on the ground, which is that, um, you know, the Russians are basically using these long-range precision, you know, cruise missiles and such to destroy the Ukrainian military infrastructure. Uh, and the Ukrainians are responding by waging war on the Western public opinion on social media. And uh, so you, you have this Western public that's convinced that it is the, it is the entire world that, you know, Russia is being reduced to the Stone Age, that heroic Ukrainians are winning the war. And you've got the reality on the ground that, uh, the, you know, the, the main body of the Ukrainian military is about to get itself encircled in the east of the country. And that Mariupol, which was the base of this hardened neo-Nazi Azov regiment, um, is, is basically anywhere up to three days away from being completely taken by the by the Donbass and the Russian military. So, uh, you know, it, it's one of those what you see on in The New York Times or on CNN or, you know, in the British media versus what's actually happening on the ground. And it uh, there was this big 
gap between narrative and reality at the beginning of this that's only grown bigger. No, that's uh, that's very accurate, and, and I and I appreciate your continued diligence to finding out the truth. And you're right, and it's interesting. Th- you're probably like I am, very frustrated because it's getting harder and harder to get to those same sources that we know are on the ground. They're getting canceled out every day by the social media accounts. Our access to them, so you're having to try to be small little detectives and find out where you can see them. And that's it's like a daily. I used to wake up during Trump's presidency and go, okay, what did he tweet overnight? Now. Now I'm waking up and going, okay, where can I find my sources at? Because we don't know where they're getting canceled to, and you're having, to, and they're getting very creative, just like they've had to do here at Sputnik, as well as the backstory to get to. But Neb, you're you're somewhat familiar with the region. I think you you probably have some personal ties. You've seen what war has looked like, what it's done to a country. One of the talking points of the West right now, and I and maybe you agree. I don't know. We we haven't discussed this yet. They say that the fact that Vladimir Putin has not, because he has not taken Kiev yet, that shows that he underestimated the power of the Ukrainian military and that he is weak and that they are losing because that's exactly what he should have done. That's what he should have right now is complete control of Kiev. Do you agree with that statement? Does he have to have Kiev in order to win this, to win this battle? Um, that's, that's not how they defined the, that's not how they define victory conditions. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in his head. Um, I've seen what war were, looks like. I've I've lived through the Bosnian War in the 90s, and there's a lot of uncanny parallels. Not just because I want to see them, but because they're objectively there uh, with, with this particular conflict. But um, the the victory conditions that Moscow set are very clearly first the destruction of the Ukrainian military, which is currently underway. And second, uh, what they call denazification. Now, this could include regime change. They didn't phrase it such. Uh, it doesn't have to include it. it, it it's, uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of observers are saying, look, there's no way the current Ukrainian government could agree to abandon um, the entire national program based around Stepan Bandera and Roman Shuhevich and all these other people. Um, obviously, they'll have to go, but that's not what Moscow is saying. That theoretically, Moscow is open for you know these people to see the error of their ways and step down peacefully. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, but they haven't phrased it otherwise. I think that original, oh well, you know, the entire war should have been done in three weeks, and they should have uh, you know sent cruise missiles to flatten the cities and, and uh, invaded Kiev. This is the this is coming from people who that's how they wage war. This is how the U.S. You know, took Iraq back in 2003, indiscriminate aerial bombing, uh, you know, punching through with an armor column, seizing Baghdad, you know, executing Saddam Hussein, disbanding the military. And then what happened? And they never they never want you to ask that question. Like, then what happened? Because everything that's happened since has been a complete disaster. Russians have obviously paid attention to this and learned from it. It, it doesn't do anybody any good to, you know, take Kiev and, and arrest Zelensky if if that's not going to defeat the Ukrainian military. Alternately, doesn't do any, it doesn't really um, do anything to take out the Ukrainian military and leave the political structure in power. Again, it, this is this is a this is a more complicated issue than than the armchair warriors like to pretend. Um, and- wars have a, wars have a tendency to take on a life of their own. 
Um, I, I'm just skeptical of the people whose entire history of predictions and, and their own campaigns is one of remarkable failure and screw-ups and people who produced, you know, the Afghan government that's folded to the Taliban before the U.S. troops were even out of the country, trying to preach to somebody else how they should fight uh, and, and draw conclusions about their success. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I'm not hearing that, Neb, to be honest with you. You're right. It's the Western trying to apply the Western standard of military fighting to what is going on in Russia and Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Western standard doesn't have too many victories in its column to use this strategy. So the strategy strategy does not work. This idea about Russian intelligence, Neb, do you think, first of all, how strong is Russian intelligence? And do you think Vladimir Putin is getting an accurate picture of what is going on in Ukraine right now? And is he on top of everything? Or does his government treat him a lot like our intelligence treated Trump those four years? I'm disinclined to believe the latter. I think he certainly has a better view of the situation in both Russia and Ukraine than either the New York Times or its average reader or the CIA. Uh, that much I could wager money on. Uh, but I, insofar as you know, being in his head, it's not like we're having morning tea together. I, don't, I honestly don't know. But again, so far, and I've, you know, he's been in power for over 20 years, and I've been a political columnist about as long, and um, I've observed him a lot. And so far, he's been remarkably more in sync with reality than a lot of his Western critics. Well, and then I, that's what I think is so hard for them to understand, to absolutely uh, approach with. They want to apply the same, like you said, the same uh, theory, the same expectations that they're using for the American, for Western leadership to someone like Vladimir Putin. It is a completely different structure, completely different, different history going into it. But I think this could also be very, very damaging for it because what it is is we're not able to kind of get all of the truth that's coming out. And if you don't follow Neb on Twitter, I want to encourage you right now to follow it. Uh, Neb, your Twitter account is at Neb, oh good gracious, Deboshka Malik, N-E-B-O-J-S-A-M-A-L-I-C. He's one of the few that I look to that's still on Twitter. And I, and I hope you can still stay on Twitter after I, after I tout you on this, because he is able to figure out what is going on uh, between the two of it. We're seeing kind of... Uh, we're kind of seeing this this misinformation campaign happen, and it's going to continue to happen, but it's now starting to have an effect even more than it already was the past month here on the U.S. economy. Neb, thank you for joining us. We're going to continue to talk about this, and thank you for all your dedication to this work. And when I talk about the U.S. economy, there's money that you and I spend to go through the drive through to pay for our gas just here, just our everyday day budgets. And then there's big money that's going down. This is the money that is being controlled on a global scale and how the U.S. handles back and forth. And for that, I want to bring in my another one of my great guests from my former life, Bubba Horowitz, who has been traveling all day and is gracious enough to join us after it. He's actually, uh, he is author of Bubba's Guide to Trading Options, great, BubbaTrading.com, great website to go to. And today, with the ruble hitting pre-war levels, meanwhile, the American dollar is definitely having a bit of a challenge. I want to bring you on, Bubba, and talk to you right now. What is happening to the American dollar? Are we seeing effects of the West political policy on the dollar? Hi, Scotty. Great to be with you. You know, look, 
You've got the, the fiat currency system is a totally manipulated, crappy system that is just these central banks around the globe to continue to, to devalue your money while it's in your pocket, trying to stave off inflation as they create it. I mean, it is you're seeing this continually happen throughout the years, uh, you know, that we continue to lose value. So although you think you might be getting more money, you're really not. You're getting less money, which is actually what's been propelling the stock market, the weakness in the dollar, because, again, there's no place else to go. And these are the issues that we continue to watch, and, and that's, you know, the ruble got hammered. But all currencies are manipulated by their own central banking system, all with the design to make them worth less and eventually go to a digital currency which they can even cover up more of the nonsense that they do within their governments. The latest demand out of Russia has been, if you want to buy gas from us, you're going to have to pay in the ruble. You've seen some pushback on that, obviously, from the EU, from those countries saying, nope, we're not going to pay for it. Is that fair for Russia to ask, say, listen, you've cut off all of our means for us to, to pay our bills. Uh, does the fact that are these sanctions? Well, let's start with that question right there. Let's begin with this one. It, can Russia ask for everyone to pay for their gas and rubles? Is that a fair thing to ask? Why not? I mean, look, if you're going to sanction them, you know, we forget everybody forgets how important excuse me, Russia and Ukraine are to the global economy to begin with, because they do produce. 30% of the wheat crop globally for food. You know, we're going to have a food shortage next year. So if you're going to try to sanction them for doing whatever they did, and again, are the sanctions real? I'm not even so sure about that. But if you're going to sanction them, then they have the right to any the right to anything they want. If they tell you to pay in rubles, you want fuel, pay in rubles. If you, if you don't want fuel, don't pay. You won't get it because there's no place else to go. And this is the environment that, of course, the Biden administration has created. There is no competition. You want their oil you got to pay for it in rubles, if not, you know, tough potatoes. Talk to me about this, the petrodollar and the current state of, it, state of it. And are we going to see a total collapse of it here in the near future? What does that mean for the global economy? Well, I, uh, Scott, I think the global economy is in, in a disastrous shape right now. You know, with, with the, again, you go, you can start from the fiat currency system and work your way backwards. But we have too many disasters. You've got too much government control globally. You've got too much of the of, of the fingers in the pie as they make these phony deals with everybody. And, you know, there's always a payoff at the end for somebody except for the middle class of any country. And this has been a, a disaster when you look at the bigger picture. And, and, of course, oil now that we are now begging Maduro in Venezuela for oil. And, of course, Iran now is is even a bigger case because, of course, we were a very solid competitor. In fact, we were the world's largest exporter of oil at one point until this administration took over. So the petrodollar is going to have some very serious problems as well, which will be probably better for the precious metals in the long run. But I think you, you're seeing the devastation created by governments and by central banking systems that have no regard for the actual average middle-class person of their country. No, I think you're correct on that one, hence why when this food shortage happens, you can guarantee that it's still going to be a well-stocked pantry at the White House for the midnight runs of PB&Js. But you and I, that's probably all that we're going to be getting, and that will be a gourmet meal. That's a little dramatic, but when you, this country's never really seen a food shortage since, since the rationing of, of World War II. 
Well, you know, if we, if we go back to Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. That was over a week, believe it or not, and that was over the lack of bread. And we have not seen the effects of this. When you go to what they call the bread basket, which is the Middle East and Egypt and those countries, that don't, they cannot produce their own. They're going to be in, in great danger there. We've already got we've already got trouble in the United States in planting going into the season. Plus the fact that Russia controls and Ukraine control some major components to make fertilizer because we have a fertilizer shortage on top of everything else. So we're going to have next year. I would predict that we're going to have a big shortage in food, and you're already seeing the effects. Scott, if you go to the grocery store, and I'm sure you do. I, I don't. I only go around in Las Vegas, but their shelves are empty. And, and we're, how are we going to replace that food? You, you have between the high cost of fuel, between people not working, and between what's going on around the globe, it's going to be hard to replace what you're missing. And I think this is going to be a real serious problem as we go forward. And I think the grain prices are only going to continue to rise. We're already at very high levels here now. I think they're going a lot higher, which is not good for really anybody, including the farmers and producers that, that produce this stuff. No, you, you're absolutely correct on this one. Now, one of the things when this was all started, this conflict was starting immediately, the EU, the U.S., these ideas of sanctions. And, and I want to get your theory. Do sanctions really work in the fact that the ruble is where it is now, that the ruble is back to pre-war almost? Does this show that the U.S.'s plan to crush the ruble uh, failed and that these sanctions didn't work, and if anything, it's going to end up punishing not only the global economy, but especially the American economy in the end. Well, here's the real story, Scotty. Sanctions only work if you're willing to stand behind them and take care of it. Well, our administration and the others who have created tried to create sanctions have no guts. and They will not stand behind their their words of sanction, their toughness. They have no toughness. That was That was what made Trump what such a great president in the United States is because he, when he, if he said he was doing it, he was doing it. And they knew there was a line with Biden. The line keeps moving and he keeps begging for more. And he continues to put blame on everybody, but the, the people that the person he sees in the mirror every morning, of course, we don't know if he really sees himself, but that is a problem. And, and the sanctions are only as good as the person standing or the country standing behind them. And not one of the countries that have put sanctions on Russia has got, the, has got enough guts to stand behind those and, and really hold back. And that's where the real issue comes in. Well, and I think you're right on that one. That, you know, we've seen what's happened in, in Iran. But once again, like I said, it goes back and forth. It also is political. To who's in office is whether or not those sanctions are enforced or they're, they're brought back on this. Uh, you're looking. You're, you're now finding five hours ago from today, we saw German Chancellor Schultz and and President Putin have agreed to hold talks on gas purchases for rubles because obviously there was a report eight hours ago that one of the main pipelines had turned off. There was no gas running through it. Uh, now we're seeing Germany recognizing this can't happen. You can't just put on a sweater and fix all the problems. The gas is a little bit even more important to that. Uh, was this smart? When you're looking at considering what was involved with it, do you not think that the EU and those leaders thought out that, by the way, Russia and Ukraine, especially Russia, has the one thing we need to keep so much of our country going? Uh, it's probably not good to take on this war with them. Is this teaching them kind of that lesson of like, this was not a smart idea of it? Oh, I, I would agree with you 100 percent, Scotty. I think, again, this is, you know, you you can be tough when you can take care of yourself. And unfortunately, 
those countries have become so dependent on, on, on Russia to produce and for natural gas and, and the things that you're talking about that they can't take care of themselves without it. And they have no alternative because the one alternative they had, which is the liquefied natural gas that the United States was sending, we don't produce it anymore for them. So now they're, they're in a box where, okay, we have to buy from somebody we're trying to put sanctions on, we're trying to hold up, and, and now they're saying to us, well, hey, you want to buy from us? Pay us in rubles or you're not going to get it, and you're going to freeze. And, you know, again, we, we know how important the fossil fuels are to the world. And they're not going away anytime soon. And this is where where Russia holds a big, strong upper hand. And because if the United States would start producing, then they could weaken Russia. But they're not going to produce. So there we're back in the same bag where there is no alternative. Russia is going to tell, going to dictate what their terms now because they have tried to sanction them, and they're basically saying, you know, hey, too bad. This is our this is our business. You want it or not? That's what you get. And a simple solution if you just wanted to see, and, and do you think, Bubba, looking at everything going on this last two minutes that I have with you, that it will ever get so bad here in the U.S. that Biden will turn back on the spigots here in the U.S., to the same spigots and the same regulations, he'll repeal them, that just a year ago had the gas and oil, well, a year and a half ago, flowing here in the United States? Do you think it's ever going to get that bad? Because obviously the plan is not working according to Biden's plan at this stage. Well, none of their plans are working, and of course, they continue to fight the climate change issue, which is which is not. I don't believe in it. But either way, however you want to look at it, they're probably not because you can almost call the actions of the president of the United States almost criminal for what he's doing to the the country when we have the natural resources here to take care of it. You know, when you when you weigh in that China and India represent over thirty six percent of the world and getting bigger. Okay, what are we going to do here? Because they're going to continue to burn coal. Are we putting a bubble over the United States? Or are they putting a bubble over Asia? You know, we, we can't we, we can't do this and, and continue to not produce an, an, a resource that we have and we have it easily. At current numbers, we have over a 200-year supply of fossil fuels in this country that are easily gotten to without really having the major effect on the environment from drilling and fracking. And that's what they need to do see that he doesn't care and he hasn't done it yet. Well, and that's it. And that's the question is like, who exactly, what is his strategy in this? Sometimes, Bubba, I feel like that President Biden is playing checkers while many of the other leaders in the world are playing chess. And if you've ever played both those games, you realize there's a huge difference between them and one that if you actually had your life and your finances staked on it, you would want it to be actually a part of chess because in checkers, it can also be a game of luck, not necessarily strategy, past a certain point. And once you're past a certain point, point, you are set on that course. I'm afraid financially, fiscally, we might be here on the U.S. Bubba, thanks for your and thanks for your insight on this. And and one quick question that I keep the people are texting right now: Can Americans buy rubles? Can they trade rubles in the U.S. right now? Now, right now, they've they've really shut down to get to them. And this is listen, I wanted to buy some of the, I'd like to buy some Russian bonds. Oh. See, that, that's the number of questions. Sorry, folks. We'll let you know. And like I said, they always made fun of me saying, did you get paid in rubles? And I kept going, no. Maybe I should have asked for that option in my last contract. Thanks for joining me, Bubba. When we come back, your calls, 202-521-1320. You are listening to The Backstory.
and we are live from America and just outside the matrix. It is time for the show that brings you the truth behind the head. I'm Sky Nell Hughes filling in for my friend Lee Stranahan. This is his captain's chair. He's having a few more days of recovery as you are listening to The Backstory. Well, if you missed the first hour, we had a lot going on. Great guests, new guests, hopefully ones that you have not heard before, but we'll hear again. Rod, have you tried to look for rubles yet? Is there like a, you know, McRubles or Rubles R Us? Because right now that is the number one question people are asking me is like, can I buy rubles in the U.S.? Yeah, no, I haven't been able to do that. But uh, I know people, some people got ahead of this uh, actually maybe a month and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't personally didn't know how to even buy rubles, but, you know, I was observing that people were already talking about this even before uh, February 24th or whenever this started. So, uh, no, I, I haven't been able to, uh, but, you know, uh, there's always a Bitcoin and things like that that uh, people can still jump on. And they definitely can't. Like I said, I am one of those that are not the most familiar with Bitcoin. I'll be the first. But it's very complicated and there's different options. And and I also have a little bit of mistrust when it comes into anything digital. I'm surrounded by books because my husband does not believe in actually the way he wants to hold a book. He has a real hard time when I, I, I get it on the iPad and, and we're scrolling through it. He does a real hard time. And I get it, especially if you're a part of a certain generation or above. You like to have a book. But I will tell you this. In this case, in this situation, the past three weeks, when I've had to look for documents and quotes and things people said that were controversial, uh, it was nice to have some paperbacks because they were not so easily found on the Internet. It definitely took some going. And finally, I just gave up and went to my library. Uh, are you are you a book reader? Are you a book holder, uh, Rod? Or do you like to, are you good with doing things on the iPad? And what was the other thing that the original reader that they had, the e-readers? Uh, I've never tried the uh, e-readers, and I, I can't with uh, I can't deal with the light when I'm trying to read, like read a book or something. So no, I I actually prefer, I agree with your husband. I uh, I like a book, and uh, you were referring a chessboard and uh, Joe Biden being able <laughs> not knowing he's playing the chessboard. Uh, David Talbot, uh, the author, has a book named The Devil's Chessboard, and that that's the game that uh, it's really happening now. This is he's not in charge. Joe Biden's not in charge. This is the uh, the shadow government that's moving things around and making us and putting us on a food shortage and uh, World War III, perpetual World War III. It's, it's just not looking good right now, but Joe Biden is not in charge. Well, dun, dun, dun. I wish we had some sort of scary music that you could play there, Rod, when you said that. That was straight out of a, a trailer almost. Unfortunately, it's true. But people always refer to who are those folks? And then... Is this what they recognized? Did they realize this was going to happen? Sometimes you have to have good, like you have to have bad. So is this, did they realize this was going to be, that their sanctions, their seizing of the oligarchs funds and seizing of all of these monies and properties, was that their goal all along? Um, or, and then did they expect the food shortages? Did they expect everything? Do they know all that is planned? Uh, I can't say because it depends on whether or not what their end game is, what their end goal is, because at this stage, it could go anywhere. I feel like that every time I, th- I could predict something, 
it goes the other way. You know, Rod, I, I agree with you on so many things that you say. I'm going to have to disagree with you on the paper because I'm the one that's usually ended up dusting these books. And this morning as I was moving my mother's library around, I, I might have been saying it for you curse words about books and saying I should have got an e-reader. So, you know, we're going to disagree. We have our first disagreement on hub day. Uh, I bet that might be our only one for the rest of this this week. Okay, we are going to get to your call. So if you've been listening to the past show, we definitely had, and remind me again, our caller that we've got, because of our, the caller that we're going to go to, because we've talked about the ruble, we've talked about the effect on the American dollar, we've talked about what's really going on on the ground and why this spin is being given to the America, to America. David from New York, what point would you like to make to the people and, and what do you think about this concept this idea that, that the false narrative being told to the west is being done on purpose obviously just to try to back up their story and it will it will come to roost at some point the truth will be exposed i, I agree that the narrative is, is, is completely made up it's it's a what what uh, what uh, the, the kind of like a distortion of history but um and, and probably, unfortunately, even even when the, the the war is over, the history will be distorted. But my point that I'd like to make—it's uh, an unfortunate point, I think—because I I I don't think I'm pretty I'm relatively sure that the negotiations for peace in in Turkey will not succeed. Will, will not will not come to completion. And here's here's why. Look, look, let's look at it from the Ukrainian military's point of view. Would the Ukrainian military accept? Recognition of the of the breakaway republics after all after the cost they paid not a chance in my opinion. Uh, and on the, on, the, on the other hand, let's look at it from the Russian military's point of view. Would the Russian military accept a peace deal which does not recognize the, the breakaway republics? Of course not. Look at the cost they paid. So that's on, that, my, that's my pessimism. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, and it's interesting. Well, we hope they that they are successful. The only thing is, and because we don't know what's accurately going on in the ground, because majority of those media, while you see different people have now landed, they're on the ground in Kiev and Lviv. It's still, for the amount of war that's going on, you're not seeing uh, the results. In fact, we saw more devastation in Afghanistan. We saw more devastation in the Middle East. We've seen more devastation in South America. So we're not necessarily, for the amount of attention that's going into it, um, for that perspective, it could be worse off, especially if Zelensky has come to the reality that the West is not going to spark World War III, that the West is basically already getting what it wanted. And in America's case, our defense budget is the highest it's ever been. They've already shipped off all of these missiles and tanks and everything, and those need to be replenished. So another check is going to be written for American taxpayer dollars, because I think this administration knows one single body bag comes back over of an American uh, American member of the American military, and it's a game changer. And it's a, it's a game changer that looks really bad on this administration for getting us involved, especially when we know all of the corruption that is now coming out and being exposed and confirmed, so much so that even CNN, the New York Post, the Washington Post, they have to admit the corruption that happened in Ukraine. So I think at this point you are you possibly could see more you know a, a an ideal till peace. The question is how long is it going to be drawn out for? If you are Ukraine, if you've studied how much the the the, the Russian military their capabilities are, you realize that they are nowhere near 
what they're capable of pulling off. And the reason why they're doing it is maybe, like Neb, our former guest, pointed out to us, they don't fight like the West fights. And the West does not win, has yet to have very few actual victories that they can claim after you look at what's happened in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, et cetera. So I want to make sure that uh, this perspective, I, I still want to be optimistic always that we're going to see an end to it. The question is how rapid will that end come and what will that peace look like? And once it happens, will we see the world return back to normal? Ingrid from DC, your thoughts. So I want to comment on a question you asked in the first hour about the article and about the intelligence agencies saying Putin was getting bad information. That article was meant for the American public, and those intelligence agencies don't believe anything of the kind. This is is part of their propaganda war on on the American public. Now... uh, they have sources of accurate information. They do know what's going on. They know what the real progress of the war is. And so this is this is a pretense. And uh, if anyone, people in Congress should also not be paying any attention to the newspapers. If they have um, these committees that, that deal straight with the intelligence agencies and straight with the Pentagon, the point is it, it, it may have changed in very recent years, but in defense intelligence, in the DIA, it is in writing, it is proscribed. That means it is not allowed for a defense analyst to use any American newspaper as a source of information. In other words, they know it's either unreliable or absolute BS. And the CIA knows this too, because the CIA is controlling what comes out of of these newspapers. So, um, that's just it's just something to be right. regarded. No, it, it is correct. And, and so if they keep lying, if they keep being proven as false, why do we keep them in business? Why do they keep paying attention? You know, Ingrid, it's always hard for me because, I, I, you know, we obviously want to reference, if we can, where we're saying, where our sources are. It's hard for me to, on one hand, say they don't always tell the truth when I know they're not telling tell the truth, but then on the other hand say, hey, I'm gonna source the New York Times, the the Washington Post. It's, it's so hard for me to do because I'm asking people to realize they're not telling the truth in one situation, but trust them in another. It puts us in a hard place because they do have the staff to look into it. You and I have to have daily jobs. Uh, we don't have time to pour through all the information sometimes that we need for questions of this, but that is a part of the bigger picture of it. And and I think you have to also tie this into what we just came out of in the pandemic. You know, if you were concerned, if you were worried, don't be. President Biden live on air just got his second booster and he says it didn't hurt. If you're 50 and older or immunocompromised, you can get your second booster as soon as you're eligible. And that is if the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, the J&J, who knows? I think they're on 5,702 version of it. Um, whatever your feelings are about vaccines, we can have that debate later. But this right here, if you want to see a major disinformation domestic 
disinformation campaign, unlike any that could be scripted. You're going to look at how this vaccine and the handling of the coronavirus has come out because it was literally, they say one thing one week and the next week they totally flipped and went the other way on so many issues that the American people, by the end of it, were completely, uh, they gave up. And they said, I'm just not going to follow it anymore. I'm just going to live my life. It took us two years to get back to somewhat normal, but we're still wearing masks. And if you're watching, even Dr. Fauci, I guess, needing some sort of relevance again, worried that Zelensky had taken his place on the Oscar stage. Zelensky comes out or, or Fauci comes out this weekend and starts saying this new COVID variant you need to be worried about already putting out parameters for lockdowns here in the U.S., are you kidding me? And yet, people are still listening. With everything wrong that he has said, and then a new, one of these great news alerts came out right as we were on air, saying that a pharmaceutical study found that ivermectin did not work in curing the coronavirus. Now, I don't know about you, but let me tell you my experience. Of the people I have known that have caught the virus, and there's a large amount around the, the country who've known it, the ones that got on ivermectin almost immediately and followed that, that, that regimen along with, and absolutely along with the vitamin regimen that goes with it, they were fine. They were healed. Um, they got over it. So I don't know whatever New York Times research project study that they had that was financed probably by Pfizer, just like the Oscars was. But at this point, I've actually, with my own eyes, begin to trust more than I have the New York Times. And with my own eyes, I've seen that it's worked in people. Meanwhile, last night I had to take my son, who I will admit is not vaccinated um, because he is an athlete, a male athlete, and I am concerned about some of the drawbacks that we're finding. Uh, I had to take him to go get a COVID test because he's this weekend going to a school function, which in order for him to enter, he was going to have to have a negative COVID test. Had to get it done within three days of his departure, et cetera. That sort of right there was absolutely worthless. The fact that he had to do it. The way that we've learned that this virus works, even if he tested negative yesterday, he could test positive today and not realize it and be even positive the next day. Who knows? He could get it at any point, and yet he's going to be able to go, and he's going to be able to uh, go to this event, be around kids, because I got him his test. But guess who made money yesterday on this test that I knew that was ridiculous for him to get because he had no symptoms? My insurance company, as they ran. I can't wait to see, um, as this is probably our 422nd test we've had to get for COVID due to all the extracurricular activities of my children, my husband, and, and myself, our travel schedule, our work schedule. And we are blessed to not have a single positive comeback yet and are quite well skilled, actually, in giving these tests both to self as well. And we've been doing them literally since the first week of testing. So you want to talk about this misinformation that came out there. Nothing. If you're still following the government for just what they say without doing your own research in it after the last two years that we have lived through, then this is on you. Because they've given you plenty of examples of where they've been wrong, never apologized for, and how it caused your life, your family's life, your ch to change immensely for you to miss out on things and they were wrong about. 
And so now you take that same approach and here we're on to this next cause, which is what the battle going on within. I don't think I want to know what the next plague is going to be that comes down the line in this case, because we've gone through hysteria after hysteria. I'm tired of historical world events. Um, I'm tired of major issues happening. I thought once the, the day that we took our mask off uh, in Washington, D.C., I didn't even get 24 hours of thinking life was grand, of being able to look up at the sunshine in the sky and smile and think that everything was going to be great. Nope, because we went right into the Russian-Ukrainian uh, mode. And that right there, I think, is very interesting, uh, that it's literally going from hysterical event to hysterical event, hysterical event, hysterical event. Uh, and and I, you can tell that's probably having a major effect on mental health of people, obviously having an effect on our economy. And uh, it will be interesting to see moving forward how this world goes into the next moment of hysteria. Our number is 202-521-1320. We're going to come back. We're going to get your thoughts on how we are handling all of these situations. You are listening to The Backstory. He's filling in for my friend, Leah Stranahan, and this is the backstory. Coming up at the half hour, we have my friend Dominic Izzo, and oh my goodness, talk about social media, because I would not know this story if it wasn't for TikTok. And yes, it is one that will leave your mouth hanging open going, how is this allowed to happen, and why is this not the headline on most major network stories until we figure out what went wrong. I'll give you more of those details as the segment goes forward. Then obviously, speaking of TikTok, we're going to bring in one of my favorite persons to do TikToks with, Baron Fronzak, after it's been disclosed that the that Meta, you know, formerly known as Facebook, they actually hired a Republican-leaning firm to spread misinformation about TikTok and that it was dangerous for families and for young people. But what they said wasn't true. Interesting. So Meta actually went to a Republican firm to spread this information. Our friend Farron Fronjack will join us with all these stories. You know, I want to get back to something interesting right now. The president has just done another COVID speech and gosh, I remember the first COVID speech with Trump standing up there, which was followed by Governor Cuomo, and just listening to that two years ago, almost a little bit over two years ago. Now we have Joe Biden, and he just said this, or I'd have our, our amazing, since about two hours ago, I'd have Rod pulled the clip itself. But let me just tell you what he said. If we need a different vaccine for the future to combat a new variant, we are not going to have enough money to purchase it. Excuse me. Say what? We're not going to have enough money. But I thought we had plenty of money. We have all the dollar bills to make it rain in Ukraine. We have all the money in the world to pay for refugees. 
and to sponsor airline flights all the way over from Europe for 100,000 Ukraine refugees to the U.S. We have all this money. We have all this money to go into the largest defense budget in history. But now you're saying that if another variant comes in, we won't have enough money for it. Hasn't the federal government paid Big Pharma enough? Don't you think, if anything, they owe us one? I mean, can't this be kind of like a buy one, get one free? Just wondering. Well, of course, this is a distraction. It's interesting that they called this right now. It's like, as if on cue, cue the coronavirus news coming back in because it's getting a little hot about Hunter Biden. Even CNN now is having to admit that they were wrong to a certain extent and that Hunter Biden could face prosecution. Here's what they had to say. Well, Brianna, this is a very real, very substantial investigation of potentially serious federal crimes. We are seeing federal prosecutors in Delaware do exactly what you would expect to see federal prosecutors do in this situation. They're talking to witnesses. They're bringing people into the grand jury. They're issuing subpoenas. And I would expect, as Evan reported, they're now gaining steam and they need to make a decision, I think, in the at least intermediate future. This case has been going on for four years, and there is a realistic chance this could result in federal charges, of course. Then we'd be in unprecedented political territory, not legal territory, but a situation of having potentially the Justice Department prosecuting and trying to imprison the son of the president. Yeah, it had to hurt. Maybe this is a new era. Maybe should we just give CNN grace? They had a new president just come in. So should the new president not be held accountable for the back misdeeds? Because I happen to remember... And I'm sure we could pull the clips if, you know, we really want to go back through history. We could find all the clips of CNN totally downplaying anything and everything that had to do with Hunter Biden. In fact, they probably went to the other side and said that the child, the children should be even off limits, that it wasn't right to talk about the Biden children, even though they were involved in. And and here's the difference. People always look at what is the difference between the Biden children and the Trump children. Big differences. The Biden children, while yes, Trump was Trump brought his family into the White House, don't don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's enough good people in this world that we can keep our family out. But he brought them into the White House. They were government officials. The Biden family, especially in the case of Hunter Biden, he stayed pretty much supposedly on the outside business-wise and made millions and made billions and made these deals with the connection to the inside of the promise. Now, there's not much of a difference except for the fact that now we know how much money is made. You can guarantee Hunter himself, uh, if we add up the dollars, made more off of his father's vice presidency and presidency than the Trump family did under those four years. But I digress. I want to get back to this idea of Hunter Biden and CNN and the mainstream media and the damage that this has done, because it all goes back to the trust factor. Now that CNN is having to admit it, it goes into a bigger picture of why. Why now? Is it because it was so much information, so much of an intake that they could not ignore it anymore? That's what it's all about? Maybe. There was always, I I did have to admit, I lost a bet. I did not think that Joe Biden was going to be able to stay in office. I'm actually kind of happy, especially considering the terms today, that he's still the president of the United States, considering who the chain of succession can be. 
could that this be what it is? Because this is all coming from internal. When CNN is having to cover it, this is all coming internally. Because we know there is a list of 10 Republican senators that knew the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop last summer. They were given it. And they didn't do anything about it back then. And they could have. They should have. They should have. So if that's from last summer, why is this just now coming out? I am sorry. Nothing in Washington, D.C. is a coincidence. And you, as an informed electorate, know that everything happens for a purpose. House of Cards, it's not that the cards were just magically, they stood up there. It's because they were super glued in place. And if they fell down, they were meant to fall down. And that's where you have to question the events and the timing of everything happening right now. Why is this going? And more importantly, is this something, and I do believe that the coronavirus in initial stages was something that got out of hand. It was not meant to be this global pandemic for whatever reason it was developed, for whatever reason it was it escaped out of the taxpayer-funded Wuhan lab. But it got out of hand to this bigger issue. But once it was out there, I think corruption took hold of it, especially in a country like the U.S., and it was used and manipulated, and people's goodwill and wanting to live was used to actually hurt them. Oh, no, real quick. I have time for one quick caller, 202-521-1320. What is your feeling when you're seeing? Why are we seeing all of this come out about Hunter Biden and his laptop? And are we really, why are we not? You want to do something? This is where we need Julian Assange even more now than ever. Because we need WikiLeaks to just magically release all the contents on the Hunter Biden Email. In fact, of the 20 people that have those contents right now, do I need to send you WikiLeaks address so that you can just drop it in the mail anonymously? Because we do need to know the contents. I think that is the best way. And I agree. It became a big scandal yesterday that Trump said that Ukraine should release all of the corruption that they have on the Biden family. The problem is, it's not just the Biden family. If you think that they're the only family that's been involved in Ukraine, well, as my famous saying has gone this week, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. This time it's getting cheaper for $2. Very interesting time that we're living on. There's lots of things that we can talk about. But when we come back, we're going to talk about these grab and go thief moments that are happening in mob, flash mobs that are happening. And one happened at a popular spring break location. And how did the police respond? I'm Sky Now Hughes, filling in for my friend Lee Stranahan, and you are listening to The Backstory. Scotty Nell Hughes filling in for Lee Stranahan, who holds this spot. And you are listening to the backstory. And we've talked about the trouble abroad, a little bit of the trouble in the Beltway. But I want to bring you down south. You know, every spring, 
there is this thing here in the United States that we call spring break. And it can either be very family friendly or it can be a lot of college kids going down to have a grand old time. Nothing new. They make movies about it. Nothing real good happens from it. It's, but that doesn't mean that it's illegal. Except over this weekend, something happened. And you would not have heard about it on the national news. In fact, it would just completely gone ignored. In fact, to find out about it, I was tipped off about it through TikTok scrolling through. I love Florida, so I have a lot of great videos that jump up and, and you know show me beautiful beaches and palm trees. And I look at it and go, oh, why am I here? Why am I not there? But then these flag, these videos of flash mobs and thousands or hundreds of people on a beach running away screaming, explicit language, uh, police dogs, police force, and videos of inside a Walmart being completely terrorized and trashed just started coming up on my face, on my TikTok feed. Then I tried to find a news story about it. <laughs> Good luck with that one. The closest thing that I can find outside of just local press that barely covered was from Yahoo. They said flash mobs, riots, and 21 illegal guns. Panama City Beach PD deploy every available resource on Saturday, saying they confiscated 21 guns, in quotation marks, from a lot of very dangerous criminals. Bay County Sheriff Tommy Ford said on the Sheriff's Office Facebook page, they're getting the news via Facebook page. Now, they're touting their successes. They said they use technology and intelligence to target the really bad guys. We did work with agencies in the area as the bad actors were coming from and developed significant intelligence that allowed us to specifically target and disrupt their activities. Now, there were social media posts that helped encourage us. There were flash mobs. There were riots. There were moments of absolute vandalism happening not only on the beach, the condo staying, and then there was the police reaction to it. However, here's what's interesting. One of the majors that there was no actual homicide or murder that happened, despite having finally for the weekend over 80 illegal guns confiscated. I want to bring in my friend, former Chicago Police Department officer, Dominic Izzo, on this issue, because I even texted him last night. I said, have you seen this story down in Panama City Beach, which, by the way, it's kind of like a Fort Lauderdale. I mean, it, it truly is a wild and crazy place that if you are of any sanity um, over the age of 30, you probably do not want to visit during the months of March and April because of said spring break. But if you're under it, it could be a lot of fun. Uh, but the weekend's events getting not only is it shocking to see what happened, but more importantly, to see the police response and the media's lack of coverage. Dominique. What is your observations now that I sent you on this goose trail on this trail to find out what happened there at the beach over the weekend? I'm I was blown away that the White House didn't take advantage of uh, attacking Florida and the governor. And look, you can't control your state. I was blown out away that they 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 missed a golden opportunity to make this about guns because yeah, I saw over 80 illegal guns were seized, and then the state of Florida, which is such under scrutiny by uh, uh, the liberal Democrats, they really missed out an opportunity on this. But then again, too, they created this problem. So, uh, you know, I mean, should we really be shocked? 
No, I agree. Now, let me ask you, because we are, you know, normally we've talked, Dominic, we've been on television. So I've been able to show the videos from these mobs. And I want to go on and implore everybody listening, go search. If anything, TikTok, maybe you can find it on Twitter. Just do hashtag PCB shutdown. Dominic, when you saw some of these videos, did it shock you just how dramatic they are? The reality of the situation was this weekend? No, and and, and only because you know, we're, we're all, we're void of, uh, we're desensitized, right? None of this is really, the first thing I saw when I started looking at this, my thought is, well, you know what? You've had people more or less caged up for the last two years. So then you put in the mix juveniles or I'm calling them juveniles. That's inappropriate. Uh, young adults, right? 21 and over or 18, whatnot. And you put them in this big mix of, their mental state, where's their mental state state in the, in the last uh, two years? No accountability, no social interaction, no, no, uh, well, we know how states and district attorneys are. Lawfulness is just, is ridiculous. Um, no, I was actually not surprised. I think I, I, I rolled, you know, you text me this and I'm like, I'll do my research. And I'm like, oh, I'm not surprised by any of this. This is from from my point of view, you know, former law enforcement, this is going to just keep happening with a, uh, a lack of accountability with, with um, prosecutors. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 47. I never grew up in a time where I thought, okay, spring break, you're gonna go somewhere warm, right? Chicago out here, I'm gonna go Florida. Hey, let's bring a gun. Or even, if, or even if it was in my area, if you're not supposed to have one, you don't bring one. I am blown away. Well, they had nearly 170 arrests, and we know that that number's gotta be low because of manpower. You can't arrest everybody and throw them up in lockup. But um, you're now seeing what is a staple trend of, hey, let's just go out and break the laws. Walmart's destroyed. I, this is complete lack of accountability. And this is, this is today's youth. It's, it's just not surprising. Well, and the head of the, the chief of police there even gave a quote to the local newspaper saying, I personally encountered an individual holding an AR-15 pointed like that right there. Now, I, I don't want to make this a race issue, but this was obviously something right now that unfortunately in, in, in spring break down there, it's, it's, it's everybody. It's very diverse. Um, they, they pride themselves on actually being very economical. So most college kids can afford a place to stay, a place to go, a place to party. But this was actually encouraged by a, a bigger group. And a lot of folks are saying that these were actually not college kids. These weren't high schoolers down there. Part of these were actually a bigger mob. Hence why you probably didn't have uh, that. It was a bigger part of a gang problem coming out of Atlanta, Birmingham, Montgomery. Dominique, when I think of gangs, I think of L.A., Chicago, New York. I think not these southern big, you know, and maybe Atlanta a little bit, but not these, you know, what former towns and enough to cause this kind of chaos somewhere else. Have we lost? Is that the, the new state that we're in today, that this lawlessness, these type of organized crime groups are not just in these major cities anymore? You just you just had the word. You just said the word that I had organized, right? You're a parent. I'm not. But I do remember being a younger kid and my mom did not want my sisters, you know, to go out, you know, be safe. This, that. Where are you going to go if you're organized crime? Where, where the opportunity is. So, you know, once a year, there's going to be spring break. There's going to be a lot. Uh, we know from a, from a uh, I'm so glad I'm not a parent. Think about sending your daughter. Is she mom, dad, I'm going to go spring break uh, out of state. You know, there's going to be drugs. You know, there's going to be alcohol. You know that there's going to be easy targets. 
organized crime, they're going to go where it's like shooting fish in a barrel. So, and especially when you have um, a, a prosecution this week, and I don't know what the county is uh, where this happened and what their, their district attorney, uh, if they, they're left or right, but we've seen a prosecution system that is weak. And not to mention the fact, you know, if you're going to go south, we, you're not going to go racial, but you need to. You need to start looking at the accountability of people who are raised in a race because crime is indicative of culture. Is this something that could be, uh, that could be related to the influx of, um, of illegals coming over the border who are being recruited into organized crime and saying, hey, you know what, uh, we got this going on, you earn your keep, go down this way. Uh, I don't think this is, this is so like you could just pick it out of a crowd. I think that these gangs are far more intelligent than we give them any credit to. They are very well organized and they know how to do, uh, they know how to wreak mayhem and crime very, very well. Well, and Dominic, what's really sad about this area, this is an area that Panama City in the 80s and the 90s were known just as much as on the opposite side with Daytona Beach as being a place of partying and it had destroyed, really run itself down. Families weren't going there anymore. They've done a really good job of revamping. They kind of got it back up. They kind of got it to being a more family-friendly location. Then a hurricane hit it about, what was it, three years ago, four years ago, completely almost wiped it off, didn't get much attention, but that entire beach line was pretty much destroyed. Most of those those condos had to be, re, at the very least, remodeled from the damage they got. So they literally were just getting over, and after the coronavirus, this was their first season to try to recoup some of that lost tourist funds, and now you have this, and I can tell you, now, I, I don't want to sound like an old person here, um, it's going to take a lot of convincing for me to let my children go anywhere on spring break, uh, other than like Washington, D.C. or to their grandmothers, which is where I spent my spring breaks in high school. Uh, but definitely now this will have an effect on the future. And maybe that's what's needed. Maybe it does need to be a complete shutdown. And I'm really surprised. Uh, my husband, when he saw it, looked at it and said, I'm surprised Ron DeSantis didn't call out the National Guard after the first night considering the endless videos we saw all weekend. But I think there's also another bigger picture of this, Dominique. And this is also, we, we haven't been able to cover it as much. It's not in the media as much. I just think that doesn't mean it's not still happening. Are these grab-and-go crashes that are happening in of these these smaller mob groups that are going into these these stores, into these mall areas, and, and they're causing absolute havoc. You don't know where it's going to be, but it, it's a version of terrorism. Because I have to be honest with you, I was, I was at a major local mall a couple of uh, days ago, and a big group came in, and I started going, oh, my gosh. It, it was a ver- – you know, I looked for where my child was. I looked for where the other one was. I called him trying to make sure – like, it's a version of terrorism right now after we've seen. But they're not being reported in the major news networks right now. Are they still happening? Does that mean that in Chicago's Miracle Mile that we're not seeing these kind of trash and ghost stories happening anymore? 100 percent. And suburban areas – outside of big liberal cities need to pay attention. I've been talking about this all the way back from Christmas uh, time from last year, which you are, again, think about the opportunities of a, Christ, uh, of, of, a, of a criminal. So I worked at a suburban department that was about 40 minutes north of Chicago and, you know, an hour something, you know, two hours south of Milwaukee. So when you're a criminal, what are you going to do? You're going to go where there's not 13,000 police officers uh, in that area. You're going to go to a department or an area uh, where suburbs are maybe they have five or six cops on the street, right? They, they don't, they don't know the players, you know, you know, the regulars in your own, in your own town. And, and the, the area I was with, we were very, very, very familiar with the high violent crime rate because it left Chicago and Milwaukee came by us, but other departments, you know, think about that. You're going to go to their town. You're going to, people were getting robbed in their driveways, walking in with packages. You're going to break in or you're going to go in while it's open to a Walgreens, Walmart, 
uh, uh, target. You're going to rob. You're going to leave because the suburban cops. They're, they're not that well-versed in handling the criminal element from the bigger towns. And so what happens? People, they just, you got the main arteries, your highways and tollways. You just zip right out. You commit your crimes. You zip right back down. You're not going to be able to catch these people. So, yes, I, uh, this is a trend that will not go away because uh, law enforcement is not equipped right now to wind up uh, handling this. Well, and that is the question for it. How do you break these down? When you're dealing with gangs that are coming up in areas like Birmingham, Alabama, I mean, I think of barbecue and football in Birmingham. I don't think of uh, major gang violence. And yet we are seeing some major gang crime happening. And like you said, it's not even just downtown Birmingham. It's the suburbs around it, Montgomery, uh, you know, all these other areas. How do you stop it? You know, how do you you handle, how do you expect these kind of Barney Five, some of these uh, city police departments, uh, how do you expect Andy Griffiths to uh, to stop these type of violence from happening? Wh- where do we go from there? Now, the number one thing that you've seen over the years is this move to demilitarize the police, right? Citizens don't want their cops looking tactical. You know, they don't want cops with three magazines of rounds on their hip, and they don't want drop holsters and this and that. This is proof that you need this. Police are outgunned on the street and they're outmanned on the street. If you let cops start going back to the, uh, the uh, Constitution, get rid of this other petty stuff, and that's a whole other conversation, and you let police do their jobs, and then you have the district or state attorney who is actually backing them up, you're going to start seeing a, 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 an impact on this. But right now, that's the biggest platform to run on if you're a politician. Let's start to defund the police and blah, 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 blah. Oh, they can't look this militarized on the street. You know, nobody wants a cop until they need one. And you're going to start until you start seeing this affect more of the uh, well, the, the ones who are calling for the outrage, the liberal cities. Until you start seeing these uh, people more affected, nothing's going to change. But go back to the Constitution. Stop wasting time with crimes or, or making crimes that make no sense and the laws that make no sense. And then let cops do their job. Well, and that, that's the key to it. And then give them the proper training that they need. Make sure that they have the morale that they need as well in the force. Dominic, always great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. And for if since we can't show the videos on it, follow me on Twitter. Dominic, I'm sure you're going to tweet out too. Let's follow Dominic uh, Izzo on Twitter. But for me, I just retweeted two videos. And I want you to go watch. I want our listeners to go watch it um, because these videos are just shocking. At Scotty N. Hughes. And one tweet actually kind of breaks my heart right now because this woman tweeted out her. She's Jesus is my savior is her Twitter handle. She says, my daughter went to Panama City Beach for spring break. She says there is a lot of rioting. It's over seven hours away from me. Anyone know what's going on? I'm worried. And the tweet thread of people responding would be the scariest thing you as a parent sitting at home going, I thought I was just sending my my child to a fun weekend or fun week, spring break on the beach, as so many do. Uh, it's absolutely scary and the live footage from it. Dominic, thanks for chatting with us and we'll continue this conversation. Thanks, Scotty. We're going to have a quick break. When we return, I'm going to get my friend Farron Franzak, who is going to talk to us about TikTok, which is the way I found out about this way. I'm finding out about a lot of my uh, news tips these days right after the break, because you are listening to The Backstory.
And we are back. I'm Skynell Hughes filling in for my friend Lee Stranahan. And this is the backstory. Listen, I'm not someone that does not like to have a good time. I'm not someone that likes to be a Karen and shut down a good party. As my next guest, Baron Frontek will attest when she doesn't have to get up early to host the morning show here on Sputnik. I'm a lot of fun. I like fun. In fact, I'm the one that's most often the kind to tell people to go run outside, you know, in their bare feet um, and do labs just for the heck of it. I, I, I know how to have a good time. But what I'm looking at this footage on TikTok, which I originally found out that happened in Panama City Beach, um, is shocking. Farron, have you gotten a chance to look at this story yet? Uh, I've seen parts of it, but I'll tell you one thing. I actually went to Panama City one year. It was my only spring break I oh. go on. And it was my sophomore year of college. And I went one year and it was one and done. The things that I saw, the things that people were doing, and I'm not like a stick in the mud and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I can't not have a good time, but it was pretty shocking. And this was back in like 2008. So I can only imagine what the kids are doing now, um, especially with, Fentanyl on the rise uh, with, you know, a lot of, of problems that you're having with people crossing the border and migrating to cities like this and with them having illegal guns and what have you. I mean, the one video I remember seeing was from Miami where people had assault rifles. And it's like, this is the kind of stuff you saw in Scarface back in the 80s. Well, and, and first of all, was this in high school or college? Just college, college. Oh, high school. My mom would. I was chained to my bed, to my bedroom. So yeah. That I mean, I'm I'm kind of shocked that Sue Sue Forensic even let you out in college, go down to Panama City Beach. But I think I think that's what you Northerners trick your parents and thinking, oh, it's just a safe little beach. We're gonna we're gonna go down there. We're gonna sit on some Capri Sun. We might have like one Jello shot or and and, and may, maybe you know. I, I think you probably you sell us the Southern mamas know better because they were probably there 20 years before. They know that, that your kids are not allowed to go down to spring break. But I will say this, to be fair, it was a group of guys and girls, and it was all couples. So <laughs> mm. I, it was one of those things where the boyfriends and, you know, I went to Purdue, which I always, people don't really assume that Purdue's like a Southern kind of a school. Very, it actually really is. And the, and the guys took care of us, you know, and like watched over us, you know, all great guys, great girls. So like I said, we would have been like the grandma and grandpas, or we were like the grandma and grandpas at that spring break. But like I said, I was just shocked to see some of the things that I saw. And yeah. Well, but some of the things that you saw, though, was was they were wild and crazy with partying. They were crazy things, unfortunately, probably more sexual, um, drinking, those sort of things. What we saw this past week, though, was violence. Now, did you see any guns when you were down there in 2000, say 2008? Um, did you see, did you see any AK-15s, AK-47s, uh, knives? Did you see any of that stuff on that, on that spring break? Scotty, the biggest thing that kids were doing back then was trying to get into bars with fake IDs when they were 18. I didn't see any guns. I didn't even see heavy drugs. I didn't see any of that. I mean, you maybe might have seen your occasional weed smokers, but they were always off on their own little part of the beach, you know, and you, you could smell it and you were like, Oh God, okay. Going away from these guys, you know, but yeah, the, the biggest, the biggest, you know, th like the biggest thing that you saw was like I said, kids using fake IDs and the bouncers were just like, this isn't you next, you know, <laughs> they'd walk home. Right. 
wasn't, you know, it was innocent then. Innocent now compared to what I'm seeing with guns. Never did we see that. Yeah, this is not innocent. This, this is criminal. This is violent. This is vandalism. Um, this is terrorism. And, and you can tell by the people that were in there. But I think why I wanted to have you on with this, because it also deals with the story originally. The only way, as there's been very little coverage, I did just see the Fox News. Their headline was Florida. Over 160 arrested in Panama City Beach as spring break crowds disrupt the area. <laughs> this is not disruption. This is this is not 180 plus guns, illegal guns in one area with a bunch of kids and alcohol. That's not disruption. Um, that could be very, very bad. That could be a very bad situation. But the only way that I saw this, Farron, was on my favorite. Um, and I'll admit it. I have no problem. I, I hi, my name's Skynell Hughes and um, I like TikTok, and I always have. And I don't care if Chinese don't. I don't care because a bunch of people doing doing dances. It's my guilty pleasure at night and my best way of annoying my family by threatening to do a TikTok with them if they uh, if they get in trouble. But I saw this story on there. That is where I'm starting to see a lot of these because they're unfiltered. People, they don't trust the news to give it to them. So they're going to places like TikTok to get their news because they can't trust a regular news source. What does it say that the national media right now is not the place telling the news when social media platforms are known for doing ridiculous dances and cleaning tips is where people are getting their news because it's live. You know, so funny, Scotty, you know, and for those that didn't know, I always would call Scotty the queen of TikTok because when, when Scotty was in D.C., her and I lived two doors down from each other and we would come home from work and we would go on TikTok and we would look at all of the different hair, um, the hair tricks. We look at the cleaning tricks. We would look at, you know, the DIY projects. I mean, and then we would be looking at dance videos and the cheerleaders and, you know, it was just, it, it was all like positive. And then when I started to see a change and, and again, you having kids, you were showing me this was when the kids started raiding the bathrooms and ripping the toilet paper things off the wall, literally bashing like the, the hair, the hand dryers, ripping the mirrors off the wall. And I was like, this is what's, what the high school kids think is fun now and putting it on TikTok. And honestly, Scotty, seeing that if that was the starting point, not surprised that the violence keeps going more and more and more. And then you have a stunt, for example, like at the Academy Awards the other day, where Will Smith walks up, slaps Chris Rock, and then he gets a standing ovation. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. When I was young, I was taught violence equals more violence. And now we're standing up and giving it a standing ovation. You know, and, and then with the help of TikTok, you know, why are kids not understanding? I mean, I, I remember going back to spring break and it was something that my parents always told me, even every single night before I went out. They said, be careful of the decisions that you make, because the decisions you make could affect the rest of your life. And for these kids bringing guns to spring break or illegal drugs, like I'm talking hard drugs like these cocaine, the cocaine where they don't know if it's laced with fentanyl. Not only could that affect the rest of your life, it could end your life. And it's very, very scary when you see these kids. And I don't know if TikTok removes that whole um, repercussions and what can what can happen. Um, you know, but you saw it with YouTubers back in the day, too, with kids like Jake Paul and Logan Paul, you know, where they were they showed the one guy hanging in the suicide forest or they were lighting his pool on fire. You know, and they all thought it was funny until somebody gets hurt. And hopefully social media cracks down on some of this stuff because, you know, again, like I said, with TikTok, it started with the kids ripping off the toilet paper in the bathroom. Now it's spring break. This is scary stuff. 
And it's all on tape. And if they're if they don't think the police like I'm sitting here looking at TikTok currently and you have police departments now having TikTok accounts so they can follow all of this. But it goes to another story that came out today. You know, that's the positive side of TikTok. Now we're finding out, though, that there was always originally this backlash saying that TikTok was bad for children and that they were going to it was going to you know encourage uh, sexual sex trafficking and demoralization and all of these issues are coming from it. And true, every social media can be anything good can be twisted to be bad. But now we heard today that it was actually Meta, their competitor, the Facebook had hired a Republican PR firm to put those stories out the face that that TikTok was such a bad organization that TikTok was a bad social media platform therefore if you were a good parent you would not let your kid be on TikTok Baron, is that just fair competition? I mean, is that just savage competition? Or is there something to be said about that lie being put out there? Because it did cause, once again, manipulated the general public and what they chose to use. And they were choosing the popularity of TikTok over Facebook. You know, Scotty, I kind of looked at this story and thought of a different angle. This just only goes to prove more and more that I think Facebook is on its way out. I mean, Facebook and its 18-year history, for the first time last year, it lost almost 500,000 viewers, okay? I'm seeing, and, and I, can, I know this from my, my younger nieces and nephews, if you say Facebook, they're like, ew, Facebook? We're not on Facebook. Ew, Facebook is for old people. And I look at it, for example, like my mom, who's in the boomer generation, her whole generation, they love Facebook. My generation and below are kind of, eh, but the Gen Zs, ew. So gross. Facebook L. And I think that Facebook now realizes that much of that boomer generation tends to lean to the right. And, you know, before they were, all, I mean, you notice they all used to be very, very about censorship. Donald Trump was around. Now all of a sudden they're gearing to the Trump crowd. I mean, to me, that says a lot more about this, like, whoa, 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 hang on. Is Facebook now leaning right? And now Twitter's going hard left? Interesting dichotomy we have here from six years ago, which I can't believe 2016 was six years ago. I feel like it was yesterday, but then at the same time, 10 years ago. Farron, I feel like a month ago was 10 years ago at this stage of the game. So I'm just going to tell you uh, that there's a lot changes, as we've learned, in just a minute or a month or a year, as we found. Okay, got to get in before we let you before we let you go. What's on tomorrow's show? Uh, tomorrow, we are talking with Mohammed Morandi. We're talking about, you know, everyone is talking about bringing in all these Ukrainian refugees. Well, there are Afghan refugees here, particularly children that are still stuck in U.S. custody, particularly in Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan, where they haven't been, they haven't eaten in days. They, there's uh, reports of abuse, uh, reports of sexual violence on these Afghan children who are refugees. So, I guess we forgot about that. Right. Well, okay. Well, you're going to hear it tomorrow morning here on Sputnik. It's a great morning show. Love to have it. Thanks, you, Farron, for joining me with your commentary. And that is it. You have been listening to The Baxter. I'm Sky Dunn Hughes. We'll be back tomorrow with your top headlines. And we'll talk to Lee Stranahan. You've been listening to The Backstory. Backstory.